week four of um, our series on uh, enjoy, enjoying life, enjoying our relationship with God. Last week, Krista talked about enjoying family. That was fantastic. If you uh, didn't catch last week, you've got to check it out. Um, just what it means to enjoy our family and be a blessing to our family. And when we think about enjoyment, enjoying life, that's something that people don't necessarily always connect with church or God, because sometimes church or God feels kind of heavy. And Jesus himself said, hey, I want this to feel light. I want you to have this burdenless, free existence, right? Where your relationship with God is alive and well and fun. And your relationship with church and your relationship with family and friends is alive and well and fun. In fact, we looked at, at, the, at the purpose of Jesus, which he describes. He says in John 10, 10, this is my purpose, to give you all a rich and satisfying life. Isn't that amazing? Jesus says, I am here sent by the Father of God, by the Father God for this purpose, to give you all a rich and satisfying life. Jesus, speaking from the heart of the heavenly Father, says, I want you to live. I want you to really live. I want a smile on your face. I want laughter to overwhelm you. I want you deeply connected with God and deeply connected with family. And as we'll see today, deeply connected with friends. And I want you living this rich and satisfying life. So we've talked about enjoying life, enjoying God, enjoying family. Today, we're going to talk about enjoy friendship. Enjoy friendship. Now, right out of the gate, I want to let you know I am not the most social creature who ever lived. I'm just not, right? Why are you laughing? That's hurtful, very hurtful. Uh, I like my alone time, and I've kind of guarded that a little bit. I like the fact that our house is a little bit of a refuge, so we come home from the kind of craziness of life and church and school and rescue mission. It gets really, you know, busy and a lot of people, which I love, but I love getting home and just, all right, this is just us now. So I'm not the most social creature. Uh, I, I don't every single night go out and hang out with, with, with friends. I just don't. I have good friendships, and in various seasons of my life, I've had a bunch of friends, and there's been seasons I haven't had many friends, and, and, and I think about that, and I process that, and, and I know it's better for me to be deeply connected with friendships. Now, in high school, um, I was here in Temecula, Rancho California, as it was known at the time, and tiny, tiny dairy town that was about maybe 5,000 people. So I went to this tiny little school and I had a good group of friends. I was a total nerd. I know it's a shock. I know you thought for sure you must have been star athlete. No, surprisingly. I was a nerd and I had a bunch of nerd friends and it was awesome. We did everything together. Uh, we had a good time together. High school was great. Now a bunch of my nerd friends went to a bunch of nerd schools. And so they all went off to college to these great schools and I did not. First of all, I didn't have the money a lot of them had. And uh, second, I was already doing what I wanted to do. I was here at Rancho. I felt a call to ministry, particularly youth ministry, and I was already doing it. As a 17-year-old kid, I already was on staff at this church doing youth ministry. I know that sounds horrifically irresponsible, and it horrifically was. But I was already doing it, so I didn't want to you know, quit my job here to move to school, to go to school to figure out how to do the job I was already doing. So I commuted to college. I commuted to Biola. Bible Institute of Los Angeles. I commuted to a Bible college in Los Angeles from here. I would not recommend that. It, was a dumb, it took me two hours and 15 minutes to go one way to school and then two hours and 15 back. But I didn't want to leave this place, but I didn't want to go to school. So I was pretty well by myself. My buddies went off to college, had a great time. They got involved in university life, you know, campus life, and I had no campus life. I left here at four o'clock in the morning, arrived at Biola at 6.15, took a little nap before my eight o'clock class and got home about nine o'clock at night. 
And so that was my rhythm. I didn't have very many friends at all. So I was well-connected in high school, but I had one friend in college who also stayed in Temecula. And great friend, his name is Eric. He's still in Temecula today. We still connect today. He was my one buddy. And then this hottie, Jenny Allen, comes home from college and notices this friendless person <laughs> over there. And I caught her eye and she rolled her eyes. And after a while, I convinced her it's time for us to start uh, dating. So we um, started dating and we got married and then we had some couple friends and then we had some kids and then we had some friends with kids and we have to do that because if you're gonna survive with children, you have to have friends that have kids because you're swapping kids all over the place. And uh, most of the time, you know, you get your kids back. And so that's what you need to survive. You need friends and we had friends. We had great couple friends and great family friends. And so we had a good time of friendship, a good season of friendship for years, decade plus. Then um, our founding pastor came to me and said, hey, listen, I think I might want to pass the baton of the lead pastor role off to you. And I thought, wow, that might be interesting. So entertain that, walk a journey. And, and then I became the lead pastor of this church. And to my surprise, I had fewer friends afterward. And I didn't plan on this, nobody planned on this, but here's what actually happened. The people that I was partnering with as employees of Rancho Church, I became their boss. And that does something to a friendship. Nobody intended on it, nobody planned on it, but it just kind of changed things a little bit. And then the family friends that we had, I kind of became their pastor, and that kind of changed the nature of things a little bit. I didn't plan on it, I didn't want it, but things changed. And so I became a little more lonelier, and I think my wife would admit that we became more lonely at that time, right? Again, we didn't plan on it, it's just the way it sort of happened. So much so that uh, I was getting my board review, uh, my annual review from our, our governing pastors, and they said, you know what, we, um, they were polite about it, but they said, we think you might need some friends. <laughs> Right, well, this is sad. I'm 35 years old and my boss is this board of you know, wonderful people. They said, hey, you, you need to be connected here because we're getting the impression that you don't have a lot of friends. And I did some introspection, some looking inward, and I had to admit, yeah, there's a lot of people around. No shortage of people. But I did have a, a shortage of good, close friends. And so as silly as it might sound, here I am, a 35-year-old person on a journey, a professional man on a journey to get some friends. So I made some decisions. I made some real concrete decisions in partnership with my wife and, and said, hey, listen, uh, they want me to uh, have a leadership role in our denomination. We've been a part of a denomination for 54 years and the denomination is asking me to serve you know, the California region and I think I'm gonna say yes. And I asked our governing pastors, I think this would be a good idea. It would get me connected with other lead pastors and, uh, and I think uh, you know, this would be good for me. And so I did. And I made dozens and dozens of phenomenal friendships over, that, over these last 15 years. So I could say I'm very well connected with a bunch of people that I never would have met if I didn't make the decision, you know, I'm gonna make some more friends. Jenny and I started inviting more people over and we started saying yes when we were invited over and we got to know a whole new group of people, some good friends. I started playing golf every week, purely for the betterment of everybody else, right? <laughs> But uh, I just put it in my calendar. Friday mornings is golf. Every single week, Friday mornings. Unless I am mortally injured or traveling overseas, I am golfing on Friday morning. Don't try to text me. Don't try to call. I am golfing with buddies on Friday morning. And, and I've gotten to know, I mean, a ton of people on the golf course. You're spending five hours together every Friday. And 
jacking around and getting to know each other and, and having a good time with some friends. So just made some changes. And as a result, I can say that I am, I am a person who is deeply connected with a lot of people. Even though I'm not the most social person, I've got a lot of friends around me. And I know that when any one of my friends is in trouble, I'm gonna be there. And if I'm ever in trouble, they're gonna be there. It's a good spot to be. But it does require some intentionality because I know what it's like to not intentionally invest in friendships and then things just kind of start leaking. And we're busy and we just get into our routines and we have families that are busy and work that is busy and just live in life. Sometimes we don't make that intentional connection to build deeply in friendships and we just kind of lose it. We just kind of lose it. Now I have to confess to you, in two days, we're no longer gonna be a part of this denomination. We had a congregational meeting, a bunch of you were there, and because we live in a post-denominational world, it's just not relevant anymore, and, and we're leaving the denomination on Tuesday. Tuesday at noon, we're done. And I've gotta tell you, I am probably, over the course of the next several months, going to be much more distant with dozens of friends that I've spent 15 years building. Now, some of you might say, well, just stay in touch with them. It's like, well, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm not. And I'm not going to lie to them. And say, I just know myself. And I have tried to stay in touch with people who are in Michigan and other states. And it's like, I'll send them a text every once in a while. But am I really going to build a deep friendship or maintain a deep friendship with people I will never see again in my life? I don't know. I'd like to say yes, but the answer is probably not. So on Tuesday, I'm probably going to look at a bunch of folks and say, I'm never going to see you again. <laughs> Give him a bro hug, and, and I, but I, there's gonna be a lack in my life. So this message is really good for me in this season of life as well. So where are you at with your friendships? Are you in a season of life where you're deeply connected with friends or are you kind of a little bit on your own? You might have a good family life, but we're designed for more than that. We're designed to connect deeply with friends. So we're gonna do a test. It's a friendship test. 10 questions, you have 10 fingers. Every time you have a yes, just one of your fingers gets engaged, right? God gave you 10 fingers for this test. I will tell you that it's a non-scientific test. I just made it up, so it means absolutely nothing. But uh, we'll have fun. Okay, ready? Number one. This is just an emotional yes or no. I feel well-connected to friends outside my family. You just have a feeling of being well-connected. If the answer is yes, a finger. Number two. I feel well-supported by friends outside my family. So not just well-connected, but well-supported. So whatever you're going through in life, you have people around you to lift you up and encourage you. It's, again, an emotional yes. I feel well-supported by my friends outside my family. Third, is there at least one person outside my family I could share just about anything with? At least one person outside my family I could share just about anything with. Question number three. Question four, I hang out with a friend or friends at least once a week. So you've got a pattern at least once a week, you're hanging out with friends. Number five, I've had at least one friend for over five years. Really deep friendships oftentimes can only be built over long periods of time where you've gone through some things together. So do you have at least one friend you've had for over five years? All right, how are we doing so far? All right, question six, I have a group of friends that I hang out with at least once a month. So this is now a group. Uh, a squad, right? Your crew, your posse that you hang out with about once a month-ish. May not be the exact same people, but you know you have a rhythm of groups getting together. Number seven, when I hang out with friends, we laugh a lot. And laughter is, you know, quite um, significant when it comes to friendships. Do you laugh a lot? 
Friendships that are too serious are sometimes just, they can be a little bit of a weight. There can be some work. You need to have friendships where you laugh a lot. Number eight, and I think we're a little bit behind on our slides here. Uh, there's someone I can always connect with when I'm in a funk. You know what I mean by a funk? You know what I mean by a funk. You're just not feeling it. And instead of just staying in your funk, you could text somebody, hey, you want to get together for coffee? And you just know your funk's going to be lifted a little bit. Number nine, there's at least one friend that knows something about me I really don't want the world to know, right? There's at least one person in your life that carries some things about you that you don't want anybody to know. That's a real friend right there. And then number 10, we have at least one friendship that has endured a significant setback. Friendships are great that haven't experienced a setback, but I'm telling you, a friend is, is really strong if you have maybe failed each other or hurt each other and had to ask forgiveness and had to walk a journey of restoration and reconciliation, that's a friend that's sometimes permanent. So you have a friendship that has endured a significant setback. All right, so how are you doing? Since this is not a scientific test, I have no idea what you know, the healthy answer is, but if, you, if you're like less than five fingers, don't leave here until you made a friend. <laughs> I, come up, I will be your friend, right? Um, if you have seven, eight plus, you're probably doing pretty well when it comes to, to friendships. The fact is that we were designed for friendship. God designed us for friendship. In fact, one of the most famous passages in the Bible about friendship is Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 and 10. It says this, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. And if one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. So we see here that the power of friendship is, is not just about camaraderie, but we see that it's about success and how we handle failure. Scripture says you can't succeed the way God's designed you to succeed without friends. And then you can't get up the way God has designed you to get up without friends. So both in terms of our success and how we manage failure, that has to do with the power of friendship around us. And that truth is backed by science. The Mayo Clinic compiled a lot of studies about friendship and came up with these benefits of friendship. We're not talking about acquaintances here. We're not just talking about hanging around people. We're talking about real deep life-to-life -life friends. These are the benefits of friendships. Increases your sense of belonging and purpose. Friends, increase your sense of belonging and purpose. Friends, boost your happiness and reduce your stress. Friends, improve your self-confidence and your self-worth. Friends, help you cope with trauma. We're designed to cope with trauma with friends by our side. And so if you experience trauma like divorce, like health problems, grief, loss of a loved one, fear, um, any kind of you know, circumstance that creates trauma in your life, if you don't have friends around you, that trauma deepens. But if you have friends around you, that trauma is distributed. Other people can bear that burden with you. And friends encourage you towards healthy habits and avoiding unhealthy habits. Now, you may, if you were honest, have friends that encourage you towards unhealthy habits, all right? That might, you know, be all right, but you really need friends around you that say, hey, listen, you're doing some things that aren't real healthy. Let's kind of make some changes and I'm gonna help you. Or you could do things that are, you know, better for you and, and let me help you out. I can say with great confidence, and I could say with really a great sense of pride that we've got a lot of friendships here at Rancho on staff and with our key volunteers. 
When you see everybody up here having a good time, I'll tell you what they're not doing. They're not saying, okay, on this song, pretend like you're having fun. On this song, smile. You're gonna move here. These folks love each other and hang out with each other and have a good time together. And that's really, you know, kind of the sense of Rancho staff. Our mission statement is we are a community of diverse friends. And so what that means is we are practicing that at the staff level, at the key volunteer level, at the board level, is we really are friends. And, and so we get to experience some of this stuff. I had uh, one pastor um, talk about a particular matter that they're working on. They're working on a behavior change. And uh, this particular person came alongside a couple of trusted folks and said, hey, listen, I need to make a change in my life. And here's what I need to do. And you need to help me out with this because I can't do this on my own. He's saying, I need friends to help me make better choices and have better habits, right? And he also said this, and I love the honesty. He says, listen, I will straight up lie to your face. (laughs) I want to make this change so bad. And I know I should make this change. But, you know, so when you say how am I doing, I'm probably going to tell you fine even when I'm not. Do you love the honesty of that? That is honesty. That's a friendship. So he's saying, you need to get on me with the details. Ask me, are you doing this and this? Are you changing this and this, right? That's friendship. Can really get us to some good habits here. That's amazing friendship. According to Harvard Harvard Health Publishing, and uh, we're going to go back a slide, I think. People who have satisfying social ties are happier. This is what happens when we have friends. People who have satisfying social ties are happier, have fewer health problems, and live longer. Isn't that what everybody wants? Happier, fewer health problems, and live longer? Sign me up for that. Well, make a friend, right? Have a group of people around you that really know you and walk alongside you. Conversely, a relative lack of social ties is associated with depression, later life, cognitive decline, and increased mortality. We're designed for friendships. We're designed for friendships. Now, friendships are different for different people. In different seasons of life, you need different kinds of friends. Typically, men and women require different kinds of friendships. Um, This is a little stereotypical, but it's from uh, a psychological journal, so this isn't me. This is just the psychological journal, right? Psychology Central. Compiled a whole bunch of studies about the nature of friendships between women and women and men and men. And typically, this may not apply to everybody, but typically we require different kinds of friendships. Female friendships are more face-to-face. Male friendships are more side-to-side. So if you just kind of watch the nature of most female friendships, there's a lot of face-to-face. You know, with men, it's a lot of side-to-side. It's just kind of the way we're wired. It's different. Female friendships are more chatty. Male friendships are more active. Lots of talking among uh, the ladies to each other. Men are just more, hey, let's go do something. Let's hang out, right? Female friendships are more prone to hurt. So, you know, I think particularly female friendships can be a little more emotive. Male friendships, not so much. So male friendships tend to be a little more durable. Female friendships tend to be a little more fragile. And, uh, and this is sometimes good and bad because guys tend to keep things a little bit at the surface. And so we're not prone to necessarily hurting each other but female friendships can be a little bit more prone to hurting each other. Uh, Also, uh, famously, men can have a fist fight and five minutes later share a beer. That's kind of stereotypical, but it is a little bit, you know, true. I don't want to get in a fist fight. I I don't want to do that, just for the record. Uh, Female friendships tend to be more one-on-one. 
Uh, men tend to roam in packs of beasts. Um, female friendships connect more frequently. Male friendships don't need to connect as much. And I can tell you, God's honest truth, I've got amazing friends that I see once a year. Once a year. These are some of my denominational buddies. I see them once a year. And when we connect, it's like we've never stopped getting together and we just keep the conversation going like I saw you yesterday, but it's been a year. So there's just different dynamics, different seasons of life. Female friendships are uh, intentionally encouraging. They tend to be intentionally encouraging. Just want you to know, and they say nice and encouraging things. If one of my dude friends said something intentionally encouraging to me, I would think, dude, what is your problem? What are, what are you doing, right? Now, every once in a while, that does happen, and it is a good thing when a guy friend says something intentionally encouraging. But uh, guys tend to uh, be more traumatic against each other, uh, taunting and harassing and trash talking. That is the way I like it. The, the more severe the trash talk, the better. And I'm talking about soul-devastating trash talk is what I like. I mean, just ripping you down to the very core of who you are, eviscerating your soul, that is what I like. That is my love language, uh, hanging out with my friends. That's not true with women. You don't see a lot of women just completely destroying each other verbally. Um, that happens, you know, when you're not face-to-face. <laughs> are we hitting home? I'm sorry, I apologize for that. Um, I've got a good friend of mine, and just to give you a little illustration of kind of how guys are, are wired versus women. Here I am uh, performing my daughter's wedding ceremony on the beach of Lake Tahoe. It is beautiful. It is highly emotional. The story of my daughter and, and her husband is just amazing and lots of emotion. And um, one of my good friends decides to be funny. And so he goes to the sand where I'm going to stand and deliver my daughter's vows to her amazing husband. And he just writes on the sand, D-O-R-K. <laughs> Dork. Dude, you could have done something better. But here I am about to perform my daughter's wedding. And I'm just completely emotional. And I go up to this place and I'm standing on... <laughs> The, the, the lettering, this, uh, my um, friend, um, I want, here's the picture. I'm standing on the word dork right there, officiating my daughter's wedding. All right, enough of that picture. I'm going to get emotional. But a friend is somebody who uh, really knows what you need at the time. Whether it's trash talk, talking or whether it's a word of encouragement, a friend really knows what you need. And every season of life is different. And different friendships take different, uh, different natures, depending on where we're at. There are some friendships, however, that need a little bit of a caution. And so I'm going to take a little bit of time to talk about the friendships to be a little bit cautious of. These are yellow flag friendships. And here are the signs of some yellow flag friendships. If one person does all the talking, that's a yellow flag. If one person is always asking for things, asking for more time, more attention, more focus, that's a yellow flag friendship. If one person never asks any questions, that's a yellow flag friend. If that person always directs the conversation to themselves, that's a yellow flag friend. If one person is consistently negative, that's a yellow flag friend. You know what I'm talking about? If you've got a lot of yellow flag friends, you're probably not feeling a deep sense of connection with friends because those friends tend to be more projects than friends. 
They tend to be very needy people. And listen, I'm not saying to ditch those friends. I'm just saying those are yellow flag friends. So just in your mind, still treat them like gold when you're with them. But keep in mind, those are not the friendships that are gonna be adding value to your life. Those are the kind of friendships that are gonna kind of suck energy from your life. So still be a friend, still hang out, have some boundaries, but those are the ones you need to be cautious of. I'm gonna get really serious here for about 60 seconds. Some of us might need to ask, am I the yellow flag friend? Am I the yellow flag friend? And so ask yourself these questions when you're hanging around with your friends. Ask yourself these questions. Do I have an urgency to talk right now? You know what I'm talking about. For those of you who are talkers, like, I really wanna say something. I really need to say something. There's chatter, chatter, chatter. I really need to use my words. Then you might be a yellow flag friend. Am I asking questions? Some of us don't think about to ask questions. This is something I honestly had to work on. This is years ago, but I had to work on this. I actually flagged myself as a yellow flag friend because I wasn't asking proactive questions. Hey, how are you doing? How's that situation at work, right? So I care enough about you to know about the situation at work and to follow up and ask you about that situation at work. How are things going with your friends? How are things going at home? How are things going with your child and know their child's name, right? Proactively asking questions. If we're not asking questions, we're probably the yellow flag friend. Do I have to one-up a story? You know the one-up people? Like somebody's telling a story, hey, this happened to me yesterday, and well, now I feel like I gotta one-up that story. Oh yeah, that happened to me too, and then the, my story's better than yours, right? If we're a one-up story person, then we're a yellow flag friend. And am I, am I complaining or negative? Complaining or negative? These are very difficult to self-identify, but if you know going into your next friend group, your next get-together, just think. Think to yourself, do I have an urge to talk too much? Am I asking questions of other people? Do I have to do the one-up story thing? Am I kind of negative and complaining? Just ask yourself these questions because you don't want to be a yellow flag friend. You want to be a life-giving friend, right? And that means we're really noticing and caring about the people around us. So how do we build deeper friends? Just a couple of things and then we'll close here. Friends really know each other. Friends really know each other. This takes intentionality. This takes time. One of my favorite parts about the life of Jesus is the extraordinary number of friends he made and the depth of friendships that he made. I mean, Jesus is known for making a ton of friends. Jesus had a squad. Um, the squad was Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Lazarus. These are three siblings, two sisters and a brother, they hung out with Jesus all the time, all the time. There's a lot of speculation about this squad of four, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and Jesus. They were together a lot. They ate together a lot. They were in their house a lot. They traveled a lot. This was a squad. This was a crew. This was a posse, right? And they got to know each other so deeply over so many years that they had the freedom to say hard things to each other. Um, Martha said something very difficult to Jesus. She kind of lit up Jesus over something. In a time of intense grief, her brother Lazarus had died. I mean, you talk about a trauma. Here's this group of four, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, three siblings and Jesus. Lazarus dies. He passes away and Jesus is late to visit the family. So Jesus comes and visits and Martha is just destroyed with emotion. 
Jesus is overcome with emotion, and Martha lights up Jesus. Jesus, you should have been here earlier. Could you imagine that kind of friendship? In your moment of grief and vulnerability and pain, Martha felt close enough to Jesus to light him up. And Jesus was weeping and then raises him from the dead. Different subject. Different subject. But that, that's the kind of friendship that, that they had is, is Martha could light up Jesus. And then Jesus returns the favor. You might, might recall a very famous interaction between Mary, Martha, and Jesus. Uh, Mary is just enjoying hanging around with Jesus. Jesus is about to go to Jerusalem and be crucified, right? As, as the sign of the unconditional love of God to the whole world, right? Bearing the sins and the brokenness of the whole world. He's about to be crucified. And they're hanging out in their home. And Mary's just enjoying being with Jesus. And Martha's doing all the stuff, cleaning, cooking, whatever she was doing to make sure everything was perfect. And Jesus lights her up. Martha, you're missing the whole point. Listen, I'm right here. I'm not going to be here for very long. Can you just pause for a minute and put down the stuff? And can we just enjoy hanging out? She was missing it. But that's a cool friendship, right? That's a very, very cool friendship. And Jesus had a ton of other friends, a ton of other friends. Um, Jesus has always wanted to hang out at people's houses. Uh, Jesus was known for that. He's always saying, hey, I'm going to your house tonight. I'm going to your house tonight. That's one of the advantages of Jesus being without a home. We never know that he ever had a home. He was always in other people's houses, just hanging out with other people's houses. And so he would say that all the time. He'd come across strangers and say, hey, I'm going to your house tonight. He would never ask. You know, he's the Lord. I'm going to your house. Okay, I get you're the Lord. You're coming to my house. He's always known for hanging out with people's, in people's houses and eating and drinking so much so that the religious uptight people were saying, Jesus, you are hanging out in way too many people's houses. You're eating and drinking with sinners. And they started labeling Jesus friend of sinners. You're a friend of sinners. How dare you? Jesus goes, well, I guess so. Always hanging out with people's, in people's houses. Always making friends, especially with people that the un, uptight church people didn't want to have anything to do with. Jesus says, I'm hanging out with you. So Jesus was known as the friend of sinners. Every once in a while, we get that attack. I'm like, hey, you call us a friend of sinners? Fantastic. We're with Jesus. End of story, right? End of story. Jesus was making friends with everybody. Jesus also made friends with his 12 disciples. Now, the disciple relationship was pretty formal. Jesus was called rabbi, and the 12 disciples were students. And that relationship was pretty formal. Jesus was the master, they were the servants. That's the way it worked in ancient times. The rabbi, the student. The master, the servant. That's how it worked. But Jesus wanted to break that down. He didn't want the formality. He didn't want everybody to be uptight. He wanted people to be loose. He wanted people to get to know each other. So in John chapter 15, Jesus says, don't call me master anymore. He's making it really clear. I want this to be a friendship. Don't call me master, call me friend. Don't call me master, call me friend. And then Jesus had a couple of close friends. He, he probably had three very close pe uh, friends, Peter, James, and John, but the closest was John by a long shot. Jesus had a, best, a bestie. I mean, he just, he and John were inseparable. They were always by each other's sides. No matter where Jesus went, John was there. John was Jesus' best friend. So much so 
that when Jesus was arrested by the political leaders and the religious leaders of the time, they wanted him put to death. All this love and grace and mercy, they, they wanted it done with, right? This whole movement of freedom and doing good, right? They wanted him done with, so they arrested him. At the moment they arrested him, he was abandoned. Everybody runs away screaming, except John, Jesus' best friend. Now, John was risking his life being by Jesus' side. He was risking his life because they knew if they're coming after Jesus, they're coming after us. And if they're coming after us, they're coming after me. They're coming after John. They're coming after Jesus' best friend. But John didn't care. He never left Jesus' side, even at his crucifixion. And so here at the feet of Jesus, being crucified is his mom and John. His mom and John. And that friendship was so close that John risked his life to be at the feet of the crucified Jesus. And while on the cross, Jesus looks at his mom and he looks at John, his best friend, and says this. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside John, he said to her, dear mother, here's your son. And he said to John, here's your mother. And from then on, John took her into his home. That's how close Jesus and John were. He was there at the feet of Jesus while he was being crucified. So close to Jesus that Jesus looks at his mom and says, you know John is like a son to you. We're that close, he's like a son. So treat him like a son and John, treat my mom like your mom. And they took care of each other for the rest of their lives. Jesus had that kind of friendship. And if I could be so bold as to say Jesus needed that kind of friendship. We know that Jesus is the fullness of divinity, but he's, he's the fullness of humanity, and he needs friends as much as we need friends. And so when we're without friendships and we're not investing in friendship, then I think we're, we're losing a little bit of our humanity. If Jesus needed friends, we need friends. Friends know each other and friends help each other. Friends help each other. A friendship is really only tested when things go bad. I mean, that's just the reality. A friendship is only really tested when things go bad. If a friend fails miserably and falls on their face, who is there? Their friends are there. Everybody who claimed to be their friend is not. Friendships are really tested when things hit the fan. When a friend fails or a friend experiences some, some big trauma in their lives, a loss of a loved one, a divorce, sick kids, whatever it is. And, and I have had the honor of walking with people in their deepest tragedies, and I've gotta tell you, when somebody's experiencing a tragedy without a friend, it is, it is a horrific experience. And as I said earlier, that trauma is now doubled because now you're experiencing the trauma of being by yourself. But if you're experiencing a trauma and there are friends by your side who are just there, now that pain can be given away to other people. And that pain can actually feel lighter because that other people are bearing your pain and it's their pleasure to say, let me take some of that pain with you. Let me take some of those tears and cry those tears. That's a friend. The book of Job is about what happens when, when there's a trauma. Famously, it's a tale of, of this man who loses everything. He loses his home, he loses his children, he loses his health. And it's a story of friendship, it really is. Job 2.11 when three of Job's friends heard of the tragedy he had suffered, they got together and traveled from their homes to confront and console Job. To comfort and console <laughs> Job. They did confront him later. That was a little slip of the tongue. 
But Job starts right away with this very cool thing. Job loses everything. I mean, he's weeping and he has no health and he has no family and he has no livelihood and he's in the dust and covering himself with dust, crying out to God, he has nothing. And his friends come to his side right away. They come by his side to comfort and console. And we think, wow, this is very heartwarming. But then it goes south in a hurry. These friends say some of the most terrible things that could ever be said to somebody who's going through trauma. I mean, awful, awful things. But you know what I take from Job? They're still there. They're still there. When a friend of ours experiences trauma, do we know what the right thing to say all the time? Do do we know exactly the words to say? We don't. And sometimes we say things that are awkward and sometimes we say things that might actually cause, you know, some hurt. We just don't know what to say when a, a friend is going through trauma but at least we're there. And that's the victory of Job's friends. They showed up. And even though they said some stupid things to their suffering friend, at least they showed up. And they were there by his side and they continued to bring comfort. They continued to bring consolation to this broken man. That's what a friend does. A friend gets to know each other and a friend is there for each other. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says this. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. A triple braided cord is not easily broken. Listen, the bottom line is, I need good friends and you need good friends. If Jesus needed good friends, we need good friends. And good friends don't just happen. They don't just happen on, it, on their own, they just don't. Good friends are invested in. Good friends are sought after. There's invitations to hang out. There's invitations to go to coffee. There's invitations to go, you know, play a game. There's invitations to come over for dinner. There's an investment of time and investment of care, but there's also a covenantal investment, which means this. You can have good friends and you can hang out and have a good time, but the covenantal investment is something you say in your heart to a friend and you just know in your heart, I will always be there for you, always. You don't say it with your words, but you say it in your heart. And so even right now, as you think through who your friends are, just say in your heart to those faces in your mind, I will be there for you no matter what. No matter the trauma you go through, no matter what happens in your life, no matter what happens in your family, no matter if you make the biggest mistake of your life, I will always be there for you because I'm your friend. Just put that in your head and put that in your heart And when the time comes, you'll have the privilege of living that out and being the kind of friend that all of us need. I wanna just put up on the screen a vision statement of what I think church should be. I don't think church should be a bunch of religious services. I really don't. We've just spent an hour and five minutes together. I don't think this is church. I think it's helpful. I need the job. I think it's helpful. I think it's helpful that we rally together around who God is and his word and our mission together. But I think church is really about friendship. It's about the kind of friendship that Jesus called his disciples to. It's about a friendship with God. Jesus says to you, as he said to his disciples, don't call me master, call me friend. He wants us to have a friendship relationship with him. And then he wants us to look around and have a friendship relationship with each other. That's church. As you walk out today, um, you're gonna see a yellow and black sign out there. It's been up for a couple of weeks and it basically says under construction. What we're building out there is kind of a friendship center. I just named it right just now. 
literally right now. It's like a friendship center. Um, there's gonna be shaded stuff because you walk out of church right now, south-facing concrete, it's just kind of brutal. Um, we're building shade over there, over there, a bunch of furniture out there. We're building a park for kids, and so you'll, your kids will be able to be out there, youth groups and kids' ministries being out, being out there, and uh, snacks and food, and just, you know, let this be a place of friendship, not just worship services. If you're around here on Wednesday nights or Thursday nights, you're gonna see friendships everywhere. We've got groups on a Wednesday night in almost every classroom over there. Celebrate Recovery is uh, Thursday night, just people helping each other through seasons of their life. I mean, let this be a place of friendship. So perhaps Jesus envisioned his church to be a new kind of community where everyone is welcome, where God is Father, and Jesus is friend. That kind of sound about right? That sound good? Perhaps Jesus envisioned his church, this church, to be a new kind of community where everyone is welcome, where God is Father, and Jesus is friend. 